Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello everyone and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodie and I am your host and it's a new month. It's August. So there's... Oh no. Okay. So there's one thing I have to do is apologize. We have a new Patreon uh, supporter and uh, I'd like to welcome Don to the Kilowatt uh, family, um, community. I forgot to send out your stickers, Don. I feel awful about it. I'm so sorry. I will get those um, in the mail tonight after I record the show. Man, I feel terrible. I'm so sorry. Okay, so um, I'm in a shame spiral, so give me a second. Shake that off. Um, anyway, it's a new month. I'd like to thank all five of our Patreon supporters, especially Don, but I want to uh, thank Cameron, Don, James, Mark, and Nate. So thanks everybody for supporting the show. It really means a lot. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash kilowatt. And that's all we'll say about that. Um, I hate it. I hate, I hate forgetting things, especially when I make promises. Okay. Moving on. Um, things that I like, I'm just going to do this real quick. I took my family. It's been very busy here. My kids started school, like in July, which is ridiculous. But my kids started school. Uh, we've been moving. There's been lots of hectic and and busyness. And my wife and I have been going nonstop since before July, trying to get everything ready for the move. And I was like, I'm going to take our family to the movie. And we went and saw Christopher Robin. And um, I'm gonna, I love Winnie the Pooh. So I love the stories. I read my kids the stories when they're real little. And we've watched this, the Disney movies and things like that. Um, so I'm a, I'm, I really like Winnie the Pooh. So I'm partial here. But I thought the movie was incredible. It was really well shot, uh, super well written. The characters were adorable and and voiced really well. So if you get a chance to take your family, or if you just want to go by yourself, because you're a big uh, fan of Winnie the Pooh, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Okay, let's get to the second quarter 2018 results for Tesla. There was a common theme in this um, uh, this call, this earnings call. The first theme was that Elon was much more reserved. Um, you could he didn't he didn't give away a lot 
like he did in past calls where he just gets excited and starts talking about things. They really kind of reined him in. I'm sure the executive team are like, hey, you can't talk about all that stuff anymore. And lawyers. Um, but Elon was uh, very um, chatty on this uh, call. Uh, he was very apologetic from his behavior from the last call. And we talk about that a little bit. Um, I've got a clip where he talks about that a little bit. And then... Um, Oh, what's the other thing? Oh, the common theme, uh, profitability through optimization was a big theme throughout this. So there's a lot of things. I didn't go through every single question and every section that they talked about, because quite frankly, the, um, the questions, what they said in the beginning, um, and you'll hear it because I didn't cut a lot of the beginning out. What Elon said in the beginning was just echoed like the people taking or the people asking questions. They just asked in a different way to try and get Elon to say something more um, about, you know, production or or profitability or something like that. They just phrased the question a different way. And Elon and the team really just kind of stuck to their guns and they just reinforced what they had said in the beginning, which typically... Uh, with Elon, you can you can just get him to go, get him to talk, you know. So uh, that wasn't the case this time, but we still have some good nuggets. And uh, the first one we're going to listen to is we're going to talk. Uh, Elon's going to talk about this is in his opening statement uh, after they say that this is you know forward-looking statements and blah blah blah. We're going to, Elon's going to talk about the Model S, X, and 3 production. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say uh, we're incredibly proud of the Tesla team for producing 7,000 Model 3, Model S, and Model X vehicles in last week of June. That was an amazing effort. Um, it's an honor to work with, with such a great team to, to produce that incredible result. It was, like, mind-blowing. Uh, we continue to uh, achieve 5,000 Model 3s per week, or 7,000 combined, S, X, and 3, um, multiple weeks in July, um, showing that uh, we're able to do this on a, on a sustained basis, and we expect to, uh, in the absence of a force majeure or some very, very unexpected event, um, be able to achieve an average of, uh, of uh, 5,000 uh, Model 3s or above for uh, Q3 and 2,000 Model 3, Model SXs or above per week for Q3 as well. So essentially 7,000 cars a week plus uh, for on average for uh, Q3. Um, that's an amazing jump from, uh, from from only a year ago we were producing 2,000 uh, vehicles a week. It's really kind of a mind-blowing uh, leap forward for a manufacturing company. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, it's incredible work by the team to, to do that. Um, Many, many late nights, weekends, extreme amounts of effort, and, and lots of smart ideas. It's amazing. Okay, so I think those are good numbers, but those still aren't really where they wanted to be. So um, not to say that Tesla's in bad shape, because they're not. I think, and I didn't, we didn't really go into this to begin at the beginning, but I want to say that, let's see here. I want to say that I read that Tesla lost 
$700 million, but they're, they made uh, $4 billion. They had $4 billion in revenue, and that was a positive, so the stock market uh, was very favorable. I will never understand the stock market. Apple could make like you know $6 billion in a quarter, but the stock market thought they should make seven, and the, the price of the uh, stock drops, but Amazon will make $30, and it rises. I'll never understand it. Anyway, um, the next thing that we're going to listen to is um, the Model 3 and the midsize market and how the Model 3 is doing um, against other cars in the midsize, other midsize cars, I guess I should say. Uh, one of the results you're seeing is that uh, the Model 3 market share has surpassed all competitor premium midsize sedans compliance. So Model 3 market share is, is now a, a majority, or in July was a majority of all premium sedans. Um, that trend is, we think, likely to continue. Um, so it's not, it's not, and we do not think that we'll stop there. I uh, have uh, uh, Rob Moran here, who's our worldwide head of sales, to talk about some of the uh, interesting, interesting elements that we're seeing in terms of cars that people are trading in, uh, the, the sales and demand trends. It's looking really, uh, really positive. So I don't really know. I don't know how big that market is, but it's hard for me to believe or not believe, wrap my head around how the Model 3 could be at the top of that market when, I mean, I know you're talking about BMWs, 3s, 5s, Mercedes, that kind of thing. Uh, I don't understand how competitive at the top of that market when they're only producing a couple of thousand a month. Do those cars sell that few a month? I can't imagine that they do. Um, but one of the things that I just noticed anecdotally is in Phoenix, um, where I in, where I live now, which is in the East Valley, uh, you have the East Valley and the West Valley and um, up north, I guess, and down south. But uh, where I lived in the West Valley, I saw maybe three or four different Model 3s cruising around. And where I lived in, uh, uh, the area that I lived in was not like a, like a high dollar area. Like it was just, you know, average folks that buy cars or average folks, average houses, nothing special about them. And where I live now, you know, the houses are like, you know, 30-ish years old. And they're really nice houses, but there's... Uh, nothing overly special about them. Um, it's in a different area of the, the community, but I see Model 3s everywhere. They, I can't go for a drive without seeing a Model 3. And for sure, I can't go for a drive without seeing a Waymo van. Goodness gracious. My kids now know what a self-driving car is, and they it's like slug bug with them. But yeah, I can't really wrap my head around that Model 3 is at the, at the top of that market. But I mean, I don't know anything about it. Uh, and, and other cars and how many people you know how many cars they sell so it's just I don't know it, it's amazing to me for sure so now we're going to talk about Elon's going to talk about we Elon and I are buds Elon's going to talk about um, how well the Model 3 is, has been received by not only uh, customers but also uh, by the press um, the, we're also getting uh, great feedback on Model 3 from our customers and we're now delivering the performance 
dual motor and all-wheel drive versions. Um, and uh, the multi-year reviews are, are, are outstanding. Really couldn't ask for better reviews from some of the toughest critics in the world. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, and it's just, oh, the, the thing that we're really finding is that the more Model 3s we deliver to, to the field, the, it's actually causing viral growth of, of our sales. So we deliver a Model 3 to somebody, they love it, they tell all their friends, they, they're they actually, uh, really, our customers are our primary sales force. They love their car and and take their friends for a drive, and, and that's, that's the thing that fundamentally drives our sales. Um, but uh, you know, not everyone has a friend who has a Model 3, obviously, so uh, we need to get the cars out there for test drives. Um, uh, as it is right now, not, not even all stores in North America have uh, Model 3 for test drives. We're, um, we're prioritized getting cars to customers, but we're soon going to have Model 3s available for test drives in uh, all stores, and uh, both the sort of performance version and the real-world drive version. Uh, so, because yeah, a lot of people, they will not buy a car until they test drive it, which is not unreasonable. Um, although on Sunday, when I, when I delivered it, we did testing out like direct delivery, um, which I think is definitely future uh, direct delivery from factory gate to customers' um, home or work or, or wherever they are. Uh, the, the guy who, who bought it had never actually even sat in a Model 3. I was like, wow, okay. Um, and I said, well, how, how do you feel about the car now? Do you, you have it, and driven it. It's like I love it. It's amazing. Um, so, um, yeah, it just seems to be really well received. So, <laughs> there's just a couple things. I I don't think he said it in this clip. At least I didn't hear it when he was talking about it. But they have something like sixty thousand review or people waiting to. Um, test drive the model three i'm one of those people um which is probably reason why i haven't received my call because i was like oh well that'll probably take about 10 days and i'll get a call I haven't got a call yet um and the other thing is this this direct to customer uh delivery i don't know i can't again i'm not a, a numbers guy or a business guy but i can't see how that saves them money other than that you drop the car off, and uh, you leave. Um, and you don't have people waiting in the Tesla waiting room. So maybe you can save money by not decorating a Tesla showroom or decorating a warehouse. But um, what do I know? And then the other thing, when Elon was surprised that this the person who bought the car hadn't sat in a Model 3, lots of people haven't sat in the Model 3. <laughs> you know, there's not a lot out there in the wild. So I, I don't know that that is a... Um, that should be a huge surprise to him. But, you know, when you live in that world every single day, it's probably not. Uh, so, um, Stuart from the autopilot team, he's going to uh, give a little information about what he's doing and what the autopilot team is doing. Uh, one of the things that uh, they did this time around is they had the autopilot team there and they had more executives there to answer questions. So it wasn't just Elon, which I think is a good thing. Um, it's Elon is certainly more entertaining by a, by a long shot, but um, when you have the people there who are actually working on it, um, it's a little uh, 
not because I don't want to make it sound like Elon is lying because he's not. It's just a little bit. Uh, it's more of what's actually going on, and not what Elon thinks is going on. Which I don't. I man, no matter how I put that, it sounds bad. It's not. I'm not trying to knock Elon. He's just not there every single day. So um, it's good to hear from the autopilot team. So let's take a listen to them. Uh, hi, I'm Stuart. Uh, you have to talk loud, by the way. Oh, yeah, they'll talk extra loud. So I'm Stuart. Uh, yeah, joined the team relatively recently. Incredibly excited to kind of be, see the foundation the team has built up until this point um, and be building on top of that right now. So right now, a lot of the focus is on Autopilot V9, which is our sort of on-ramp to off-ramp solution that's going to automatically attempt to change lanes, understand what lane the car is in, understand the route the user wants to travel and take that route for the user and ultimately hand back control to that user, which is kind of safe and controlled. Integrate navigation. So you like to yeah. navigate from one place? You say like, oh, uh, you just, by, by the way, a little, little tip uh, for if, if you're um, driving um, Model S or X or 3 is if you just tap, nav hold, uh, tap nav the navigate button and just drag down, it will automatically navigate you to your home or work, depending upon where you are. That's a pretty cool feature. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of focus right now. We're also kind of digging in on some new safety features. I think... Probably the thing that's just most exciting for me coming into the team is just seeing the foundations been built out over the last two years. I think Andre will talk a lot about some of the perception and vision work we've done there, including Data Engine. Um, that has sort of allowed us to build on top of that very, very quickly. And I think we're also starting to see a new set of safety features that really only make sense in this world where we have this extremely high understanding of what's happening around the vehicle. So I think when I sort of think about like, what gets me excited when I come into work, it's like, one, starting to introduce real aspects of kind of like not just making the commute kind of reducing the drudgery or kind of the risk of commuting, but also really making it a little bit fun. Um, and the second is like dramatically improving safety um, in a way that you really can only do once you have this like very nuanced understanding of the world around you, the perception. Okay. And I, I don't know, really a lot to comment on that. It makes sense that, you know, if Tesla is going to compete, they, they need to uh, get the uh, autopilot down so that it's not uh, doing things like running into medians or parked cars or fire trucks or things like that. So the next one, um, along the same line, autopilot team, because we're going to talk a little bit about the hardware and things like that too. Uh, but they're they're just going to introduce Stuart, Andre, and Pete. So they're going to Andre's going to talk a little bit about um, what he's up to. Cool. Yeah. <clears throat> Hello everyone, um, my name is Andre Kapathy and I'm the Director of AI here at Tesla. Uh, in particular, I lead the Vision team, which is responsible for turning uh, the video stream that we receive from all the cameras in the vehicle into an understanding of what is around us and around the vehicle. Um, I've worked with neural networks for about uh, 10 years, or my, uh, mostly as a PhD student at Stanford and as a research scientist at OpenAI. And I'm, what I'm really excited about uh, is uh, um, really building out this infrastructure for computer vision that underlies all the neural network training. Uh, trying to get those networks to work extremely well and make that a really good foundation on top of which we build out all the features of the autopilot, like uh, the uh, features associated with the V9 release that's going to come up, and that Stuart has mentioned. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, basically, what that is saying, if you don't know, because I know we have a lot of new listeners, is that if the the computer itself, when it sees like a Coke can, versus a semi-truck, it can't tell the difference between the size of, oh, that's a Coke can, that's a semi-truck. It's got to go through the neural network and it's got to learn 
oh, Coke cans are small. They can't determine the, the size so much. So they're like, oh, Coke cans are small. So that's a Coke can. It's nothing to worry about. Oh, but that's a semi truck. That's something more to worry about. That's how I understand it. And that's how it was explained in one of their, um, or similarly explained in one of their earnings calls in the past. So um, you can argue that, you know, and you could argue very easily that that's a super important part of of any uh, self-driving technology. Oh, we're going to talk to uh, Pete on the autopilot team, or he's going to talk. Oh, hi, this is Pete Bannon. Uh, my team gonna, is yeah, talk, talk loudly. Yes. My team's uh, leading uh, currently the hardware three uh, development. Um, the chips are up and working, and we have uh, drop-in replacements for S, X, and three. All have been uh, driven in the field. Uh, they, they support the current networks uh, running today in the car at full frame rates uh, with a lot of uh, idle cycles to spare. So I think uh, we're all really excited about what Andre and his team uh, will be able to do with this hardware in the future. I think like one little anecdotal story was I gave a talk to his team on Hardware 3 uh, last month explaining how it worked and what it was capable of. And then afterwards, one of the researchers came up to me and he was really excited and he said, this is so exciting. I'm really excited about exploiting this hardware. And he said, I think people are going to want to come and work at Tesla just to have access to this hardware and, and to try it out because it's so exciting. So uh, as a hardware designer, having excited software developers is, is the best. And um, it's a really fun place to work because I do get to work with my, my two primary customers, Stuart and Andre, and making them happy is uh, is pretty fun. Um, yeah, actually, Pete, maybe just to, some people know about your background, but not everyone does. So if you can just like, um, um, Pete's a super humble guy, but it'd be great to just, uh, <laughs> yeah, talk about uh, stuff you've done before. Let's see. Uh, I started working designing computers in uh, a digital equipment corporation in uh, 1984, back when they were uh, refrigerator sized, <laughs> and I've uh, been working on smaller and smaller designs ever since. Uh, I was an Intel fellow working on Itanium for a little while. Then I was VP of Architecture and Verification at PA Semi, which was acquired at Apple. I led the design of the first ARM 32-bit processor that went into the iPhone 5. I built the team that designed the first ARM 64-bit processor in the world, which went into the iPhone 5S. Uh, and then I worked on performance modeling and performance improvements at Apple for eight years. And then two years ago, I came to Tesla and designed the neural network accelerator that's part of Hardware 3 and helped architect the, the rest of the Hardware 3 solution that will be in the car next year. That is a very, very impressive resume. I mean, a very impressive resume. Now they're going to talk, um, there's two clips uh, that we're going to listen to. The first one is they're going to kind of give it an overview explanation of kind of um, Hardware 3 and what they've been working on. And the second one is a more complicated, and I'll try to sum it all up um, after each clip, but it, it, the more complicated one, I get lost in the weeds. And, you know, I have a fairly decent technical background. It's not like a lot of people who have um, the hardware and software skills that I don't would think of me as uh, rudimentary, but uh, compared to normal people, everyday people walking on the street, I have a fairly technical background. And even I got lost in the weeds in this. So uh, let's look, first we'll listen to the uh, kind of more simple one, and then they restate it, and it's more complicated when they restate it. Yeah, maybe with articulating some of the details, um, the design principles that, that um, 
uh, explain why um, the Tesla AI chip or AI computer essentially for the car um, is able to achieve an order of magnitude better processing than um, than anything else that exists. Sure. Yeah. So like two years ago when I joined Tesla, we did a, a survey of all of the solutions that were out there for running neural networks, including GPUs. We went and talked to other people at, like at ARM that were building embedded solutions for running neural networks. And, and pretty much everywhere we looked, you know, if somebody had a hammer, whether it was a CPU or a GPU or whatever, they were adding something to accelerate uh, neural networks. But nobody was doing a bottoms-up uh, design from scratch, uh, which is what we elected to do. Um, we had the uh, benefit of having the insight into seeing what Tesla's neural networks looked like uh, back then and having projections of what they would look like into the future, and we were able to leverage all of that knowledge and our willingness to, to totally commit to that style of computing to uh, produce a design that's dramatically more efficient and has dramatically more performance than what you can buy today. Okay, so right there, I don't, don't know that I need to restate this, but they just kind of started from the ground up and they didn't adopt anybody else's, uh, really adopt anybody else's technologies. They started with what they knew Tesla could do at the time and they built off of that. Okay, so let's get to the more complicated one here. Cool, thanks. Yeah, I mean, essentially, the, the, the key is to, to be able to run the neural net um, at a, a fundamental, uh, at a bare metal level, so that the, you actually, it's in, in the circuits, it's, it's essentially doing the calculations in the circuits itself and not in, in some sort of emulation mode, which is how a GPU or CPU would, would operate. So you want to do basically a, a massive amount of localized uh, matrix multiplication uh, with, a, with, with the memory right there. So it's... it's, it's so it's a huge number of very simple complications um, uh, with the memory needed to uh, store the results of those complications right next to uh, the circuits that are doing the matrix uh, calculations. And the net effect is, is an order of magnitude improvement in the uh, frames per second. Uh, our current hardware, which uh, I'm a big fan of NVIDIA, they do great stuff, but uh, using a GPU, fundamentally, it's an em emulation mode. So and then you also get choked on the on the bus. So uh, the transfer between the, the GPU and the CPU ends up being one of the constraints of the system. Um, so the the net effect is we're able to with, with the Tesla uh, uh, computer. Um, and we've been like in like semi stealth mode basically for the last uh, two to three years on this. But I think it's probably time to let the cat out of the bag because that uh, cat's kind of coming out of the bag, bag anyway. Um, so. Um, but but it's it's an incredible job by by Pete uh, and his team uh, to create this uh, um, one of the world's most advanced uh, it, uh, inference computer uh, for uh, designed specifically for autonomous uh, operation um, and um, there's a rough sort of figure of matter whereas the current NVIDIA-based hardware can do 200 frames a second this is able to do over 2,000 frames a second um, and with with uh, Full redundancy and failover, so it's uh, it's it's an amazing amazing design, and we're going to be looking to to um, increase the 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 size of our chip team and our and our investment in that uh, as, as, as you know as quickly as possible. I think we're at some of the best aces in the world, but I think we want to build on that even more. Um, and, uh, and 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 it's it it costs the same as our current hardware. And we, we anticipated that this, there would actually be this, replace, which, this replacement, which is why we made it easy to 
switch out the computer. And that's all that needs to be done. If we take out one computer and plug in the next, um, that's it. All, all the connectors are compatible. And you get an order of magnitude, more processing. And you can run all the cameras at full, full frame rate, full resolution, uh, with a complex neural net. So it's super kick-ass. Thank you for doing that. You're welcome. Okay, so f <laughs> first, if they knew they were going to replace the computers or have to replace the computers, did they build that into the cost so that people who bought hardware two cars can get a free upgrade? I, I'm, I'm very curious about that. Okay, so <clears throat> I'm probably going to explain this wrong, but I'm going to do my best here. What a lot of... Um, we'll use like research, like people that have to crunch big numbers uh, for scientific research. What happens is the uh, CPU, the the processor on it, just the regular processor, it's not enough uh, power to crunch these numbers in a time efficient manner. So they borrow from the GPU to, um, which is the graphics processor, they borrow from that so that they can crunch these numbers uh, faster and and make it more efficient and uh, make it seem like because it is the computer's more a, a lot faster when elon says writing directly to the metal best to, to the best of my understanding that means it's writing directly to the chip so basically they designed a chip specifically for this task basis but it's, they're not using off-the-shelf parts from like nvidia or amd or intel or arm or whatever they, they're designing this chip specifically, and that's what Pete did at Apple. Um, they're designing the chip specifically for Pete and his team, uh, specifically for this task, which makes it way more efficient because it's specifically designed just to do one thing instead of expected to do a bunch of different things. So that's my poor man's um, explanation. And if you know me to be wrong because you have more information about this than I do, or you're just smarter about it than I am, please write in to Bodhi at 918digital.com because uh, I would like to be corrected if, if, this isn't, um, if this isn't correct. All right, so um, I think that's the most technical th uh, part of this, so we're past that. Uh, Elon and uh, the team, they're gonna talk about the top five trade-ins for the model three, which I thought was interesting. It's not a very long clip. What are the top five trade-in cars for top all three? Five, not yeah, top three. this is very interesting. Um, so we, we looked at uh, what people um, who are buying uh, Model 3 cars in the United States, um, what cars they're trading in. Um, what we found um, is um, through this year, uh, from January to July, the top five non-Tesla cars people are trading in to get into a Model 3. Um, they are Toyota Prius, BMW 3 Series, Honda Accord, Honda Civic, and Nissan Leaf. Um, They're really surprising. Yeah, they are yeah. surprising because they are not the traditional um, premium uh, sedans. Uh, they are actually, many of them are the uh, mainstream missile sedans. Right, and, and we're obviously at this point not, not yet selling a $35,000 car, so this is promising for the future. Yeah, I don't know how much a Civic costs or an Accord, but the BMW 3, I think, is about $35-ish thousand for the base model. Um, and, you know, the Prius, uh, I think you can get a newer Prius for like 30 ish um, or you can even get a used one for super cheap. Um, 
So I think that's that's a, a sign that people want electric vehicles. Uh, however, um, you know when you have the performance model or the dual motor model, it's basically it's like an Apple Watch. You know that when they when they came out with the you know they had the ceramic or the gold or whatever, it's still the same car. Um, the performance model will go faster. The dual motor uh, model will get some extra range and some other things. But essentially, at its core, it's the same car. It just costs more money because it kind of has one or two more uh, bells and whistles. So that's a, and I guess the point I'm trying to make is that's a that's a pretty significant uh, price jump for people to go from, I think, 40, the cheapest Tesla you can get right now is 45,000, cheapest Model 3. And that's a pretty decent jump uh from let's say somewhere in the mid 30s on average uh to let's say somewhere in the mid 50s on average for a model 3 so you're going from a car that costs you you know 30ish thousand dollars to 50ish thousand dollars that's a pretty big jump so that's that shows uh, a nice amount of demand i think anyway uh next up uh Let's see, uh, we're going to talk about, I think maybe I got these, uh, 10, 11, 12. Nope. We're going to talk about the Shanghai Gigafactory and, uh, Elon's going to apologize. This is kind of Elon's apology tour, um, for the way, uh, that he treated analysts last time. So, um, and I think he's sincere, um, and we'll get into, um, more about the apologies uh, later. I think I, I I think I put that down. Let's talk about the Shanghai factory. Maybe we could um, tackle some of the commentary about the the, the Gigafactory coming in in, in China. Um, when you first announced um, the the Gigafactory one, I think you said that was going to be about a five billion dollar investment, um, and 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 you you mentioned. Um, some volume numbers associated with what you think could be in China. So we do some extrapolation. It looks like maybe maybe 15 gigawatts of uh, gigawatt hours of initial capacity. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if you could also do a linear extrapolation on the on the cost. Do you think you need for for that factory? Uh, sure. Um, and and uh, I uh, would also like to apologize for um, being applied on the last call with you. That was it was not right. And I hope you accept my apologies. Thanks. Um, so, with respect to uh, Gigafactory or CapEx, I think we've learned a tremendous amount uh, with Gigafactory 1, and uh, we're confident that we can do the Gigafactory in China for a lot less. Um, I think it's probably closer to, this is just a guess, but probably closer to 2 billion. Um, and, and 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 this would be at a higher and, and that would be sort of at the 250,000 uh, vehicle per year rate, um, and uh, so I think we can be a lot more efficient with capex, um, and that and that would include at, at least a battery module and and pack production. Um, uh, you know, a, a, um, body shop, paint shop, and general assembly. 
Um, might even be less than that, but that's um, that's that's about the right number for for that. And then cell production is something we need to still figure out with respect to the Shanghai. Factory. So um, I did not think I th I figured, and it's it's amazing that when you think about this, I read somewhere that that the factory would cost them five billion dollars, and I was like, man, that seems reasonable. Probably have to spend more than that, but to go you know to two billion ish dollars. Um, even though that's a lot of money, it doesn't seem like a lot of money when you, you know, we've been doing this show for nearly two years. Um, and at first I was like, holy smokes, that's a lot of money. But really, <laughs> it feels like a reasonable price for what they're getting. Um, I did, I skipped over one of these clips and it was the first question. And Elon uh, apologized for the first, to the first gentleman too, and explains that he was tired. Which I think you know we talked about last week. Um, when I get tired, you know, I get grumpy and I get uh, uh, very. I have a very. Um, I wouldn't say I'm quick to anger, but I'm quick to sarcasm and I'm quick to biting sarcasm, which hurts a lot of people's feelings. And I, I've in the, my later years, in my twenties, I didn't care. In my thirties, I started to feel terrible about it. In my late thirties and forties, I'm trying not to do stuff like that. Um, but, uh, so Elon talks about that a little bit and, uh, th they talk about improving margins, which actually, this is a seven minute and 42 second clip, but I left it in there cause it's got some good stuff on the dual motors and how they're outselling the performance and just the regular long range model three. So let's, let's give that a listen. And that last clip, you probably heard some clipping, clicking, because it's like 111 degrees here in the middle of the night, or not in the middle of the night, in the evening. And uh, this closet I'm standing in doesn't have any air conditioning. So, so I turned the fan on in the other room. So you might have heard some clicking and thumping so I could get the fan on. So I apologize about that. But let's talk about uh, Elon apologizing and uh, how they're going to improve margins. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, I have one question and one follow-up, please. Um, first, just on uh, gross margins, um, it looks like SNX uh, gross margins were up maybe 500 basis points sequentially, and I'm wondering maybe you can articulate what drove that. And then more importantly, uh, it looks like you're calling for Model 3 gross margins to go from about maybe 3% this quarter to 15% next quarter. Um, you know, that's about a $6,000 uh, cost out um, per car. And uh, I'm wondering if you can maybe help us understand what, you know, sort of the forces that drive that kind of improvement in a relatively short time frame. Um, yeah, absolutely. First of all, um, you know, I'd like to apologize for, um, you know, uh, being applied on the particle. Uh, now, honestly, I think there's really no excuse for bad manners, and I was kind of violating my own rule in that regard. Um, you know, that certainly have some, I have some excuse, you know, there are reasons for it, and that I've gotten no sleep, and, um, it, you know, I've been working sort of 10 hour, 20 hour weeks, but nonetheless, there's still no excuse. My, uh, my apologies for, for not uh, being flight on the fire call. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, and let's see, with respect to uh, gross margin, I'll I'll touch on that and then and then hand the rest to, to Deepak. But 
Um, yeah, certainly, when when uh, when spooling up the production line, there are a tremendous amount of inefficiencies. Um, there's uh, a lot of uh, hurry up and wait, where some parts of the production line move well, then uh, then one part doesn't, um, and uh, and you have associates waiting around with nothing to do. Uh, there there are parts that we we thought were right, but then it turns out we've got to um, they, they weren't right. We're going to send them back to the supplier. Um, it's it's a uh, it's it's just like the whole sort of giant mis machine kind of it just needs to kind of lurch into uh, a high pace and there's a lot of lurching, um, which is very inefficient. Um, so you end up having super high uh, labor costs per car, um, and uh, uh, it it just needs takes time to sort of spool up this giant machine. It's just like a basically the production system is like a giant cybernetic collector, um, and it's and, uh, and then it moves as fast as the slowest part. Um, so as we address those, those slow parts and as we improve efficiency, then gap, uh, you know, grow gross margin, and so the profitability of the car, the car just improves dramatically. Um, that, that's sort of at a high level. Do you want to add to that? Well, you, Elon, you described it um, extremely well. Uh, so just to sort of summarize, um, this was a major milestone for us in uh, Q2, that the gross margin of Model 3 turned slightly positive. Uh, and we feel really good about uh, the path ahead. Uh, and, uh, and as Elon said, it's driven predominantly by manufacturing cost efficiencies. Um, it's, uh, you know, the labor hours that we use to produce each car becomes less. The initial ramp-up costs that we have that are one time, uh, those inefficiencies disappear. Our fixed costs that are there, that, get le that gets leveraged to a higher volume. Um, so uh, all of that. Actually, it's a thing that can also happen is that if it, if it turns out that, say, the, um, a production part um, was either designed wrong or built wrong or something, something wrong with it, then in, on a kind of an emergency basis, we have to go with low-volume tooling, which can be produced quickly. But uh, the, a, a, a part produced off of low-volume tooling can easily be 10 times more than a part produced uh, off yeah. of uh, production tooling. Um, and so just one you could have sometimes it's what even it gets really not if you've got a machine something out of out of a block um, and, and see that that'll make a or make a car then the the cost of of of, 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 of using low low volume uh, you know post piece of low volume tooling can be really nutty yeah and that journey just continues um, as we stabilize and grow production from these levels we achieve even more efficiencies. And Q3 also benefits with somewhat improved mix as we're going to sell more all-wheel drive and performance cars. Um, uh, and in the long run, as we continue to achieve those efficiencies on cost, our gross margins will continue to increase. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this trend will continue. Um, you know, we're trying to give you essentially all the information that at least we know of, but we're seeing roughly half of all customers choose the dual-motor all-wheel drive option, yep. which is actually quite a good positive surprise. Yeah, it's been heartening to see the mix uh, in terms of what customers want. Robin can probably add more to that. Yeah, so um, so starting from end of June, when we opened, when we opened the configurator um, and invited the existing reservation holders, um, we saw tremendous um, excitement and response from, from our customers. Um, as uh, Deepak just mentioned, uh, we actually see more orders 
for the all-wheel drive dual motor car and performance cars combined than the uh, than the rear-wheel drive cars. Yeah, it, 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 we don't want, I don't we don't want to say like this this should be assumed to be a continued thing. It's just the thing we are seeing now. Yes, correct. So, yeah, correct. Yeah. And another um, thing I want to point out is that uh, we are actually, since we opened the configurator to the general public in, in early July, we are seeing um, a increased demand coming from people who do not currently hold a reservation. I think that's, that's something that we found uh, super exciting because these are the people who actually had no idea about Model 3 and they heard about Model 3 is available uh, to order um, many of them requested test drives, um, and uh, since early July, we have over 60,000 test drive requests uh, in the U.S. alone. And these uh, people uh, come into our stores, do the test drive, um, and they become super excited, and they decide to order the car. Um, so we believe that the, um, uh, the, uh, the strong demand coming from especially the non-reservation holders is going to dramatically increase as we increase our test drive uh, population. Um, to give you an example, three weeks ago, um, we had only eight stores um, having test drive cars. To Elon's point earlier, now we have over 90 uh, stores having uh, test drive cars. Okay. Um, oh, it's, it's worth mentioning um, just some interesting little um, you know, bits of information that uh, you know, Robin was, was telling me. Um, I'd rather just like to also come up, come in, Robin, doing doing a great job running worldwide sales. Uh, okay. Thanks, thanks for taking on the show. And, and uh, the, the awesome work down in China was like, really some next level stuff. Uh, uh, you know, Robin was uh, born and raised in, in Shanghai and uh, and has been, um, along with uh, uh, Tom and Grace and other members of the team in China, have been sort of instrumental in uh, establishing the the, the, the China factory. Um, and, and making sure that gets done right, and uh, have a great relationship with the, the government, and um, so it's uh, nice work in that regard. In that regard. Okay, so basically, and this I, the reason why I let that go for seven minutes was because that saved probably twenty five minutes in other questions that people asked. It went for yeah. Seven minutes and 42 seconds. So I, I apologize for having such a long clip, but I think there was a lot of good information in there. Um, to recap, it's basically profitability through optimization and efficiency is what you can read into that. But some of the other information you glean, like uh, the amount of reservation holder, not reservation, uh, people waiting for uh, test drives and kind of looking forward how um, positive the outlook for the Model 3 and other cars look. I thought it was worth keeping in there. So uh, this next one's only 22 seconds long, and Elon is telling people it's fun to call it a tent, but it's not a tent, uh, which is where their GA4 line is for the performance Model 3s. So let's listen to that. Yeah, I feel like well, fun about tent, but by the way, our tent is amazing. <laughs> Um, and and this, this is not like people who like say tent feel like it's like some, some sort of you know it's like telling you buy an REI or something like that you know they go camping. So this is a, this is a tent that is actually um, commonly used as a permanent structure. That uh, is a giant thing that is very commonly used as a, as a permanent structure. And that's what I've been saying. Anyway, it's just nice to hear somebody else say it. 
Uh, this next one, also a little bit long, uh, but they're going to talk about uh, GA4, which is the General Assembly line 4 for the Model 3, which is the performance line uh, from performance Model 3s. And um, this one is interesting because, or I think it's interesting, because they kind of configured it differently than GA3, and actually they kind of accidentally through... Um, through having no other choices, uh, made it more efficient. So, um, and I think even Elon says necessity is the mother of invention. So, um, let's sit back and listen to that one. It, it, this is, I think, this clip. I think it's it's pretty interesting. I, the the whole way the factory works and kind of getting an idea in there is really, uh, to me, is really uh, fascinating. Uh, very simple tooling that we reused for most of, um, actually nearly all of it. Oh, you know, I cut some of this off. Uh, when they talk about the, the tent and what they did, it, basically they took um, leftover parts that nobody was using and wouldn't work in other lines, and they retooled it so that it would work in this line. So they didn't even buy new equipment mostly i'm sure they bought some new equipment but they didn't really buy new equipment they just took what they had left around over to build this so let's let's go back into this uh is uh, systems and um tools that we discarded from previous snx or from model 3 especially model 3 Mo i mean what is, like the point is we have two weeks to 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 solve this problem which is like quasi impossible yeah. um so we, we actually didn't have time to order new equipment because it would have taken too long to arrive so we, we, we took the conveyors that, that we'd uh, discarded from the GA3 line, which didn't work. Um, it was way too complex to actually deliver parts. And we uh, simplified, repurposed yeah. them, make them sturdy for what was needed. And well, I thought like a really cool idea was the, the putting them on the 1% grade. Yeah. So the, the, it's like technically the, the, the conveyors uh, for parts delivery to GA3 uh, uh, were not graded to, to be able to uh, move something as heavy as a car. Um, so uh, we, 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 um, we made it downhill and uh, on a 1% on a down, downward grade with the car at the top. So then it, it, the, it, you can actually overcome the uh, transport. Gravity helps. Yeah, gravity. Exactly. Basically, yeah. Uh, with Newton on your side, you can do, accomplish a lot. Yeah, he's pushing the car. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, and, um, and, and something that I'm particularly happy about is that we installed the quality team uh, at the end of the line, and we wanted to have at least as high standards on this new line as on the other one. And because it is so simple and straightforward, they can run very quickly to any point in the line if there is any potential concern and uh, address very quickly. There is no maze to move around or identify where something happened. And uh, the quality of the cars that come out of this structure is at least as good. Uh, as in the, in the, in the, uh, and we make all the performance cars uh, on this uh, particular line, and uh, they seem to be doing quite well. So this is um, a very pleasant surprise, and the associate seems to be very happy and engaged in that particular area. So this may be a model of how we may, may want to start uh, General Assembly uh, for future uh, vehicles, at least start. And we can always um, add further automation and, and complexity. Um, and, and something that's like somewhat counterintuitive is that this this actually has a fully con fully considered um, uh, fewer labor hours per car than the the GA3 system, um, and 
um, just to elaborate on what Joe was saying, um, when we have partial delivery to GA4, uh, the, the truck literally just uh, backs up to the side of the line uh, with, with this, like a door in the in the tent, um, and, and 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 then that is used to unload part, parts from suppliers directly to where they're needed on the line. So there's, there's no intermediate uh, system. Whereas for GA3, they're, they're unloaded, they're put in a warehouse, then they're repackaged from the warehouse into these totes, uh, which um, uh, so, so we, we actually have about 220 people, something like that, across the shifts, whose only job it was was to repackage parts from the boxes of carrying suppliers to the boxes that to, to, to these totes that go into the lifters that, that go up into uh, GA3. Um, that's literally all they do is move things from one box to another box, and we don't need that at all on, on GA4. All gone. All gone, yeah. Um, and the, there's a tremendous amount of... Um, so we have 24/7 robotics um, uh, te technicians that are constantly trying to make the machines uh, have uptime. That, that's very expensive, um, and, uh, and and so when you think about like not having to maintain all these robotic systems, that that's a big cost savings as well. Um, and um, now we're going to gradually be adding um, simple automation into GA4 to make it easier to, to build the car, um, and that are sort of labor-saving devices, but it's, it's, it's just fundamental. It, it, it's already at an efficiency level greater than GA3, which is pretty impressive. Again, this is, I mean, what they did, uh, what they did is, is amazing, because if they were building cars just fine on the other lines, this would have never happened or unlikely to happen to this level but again it's profitability through optimization and efficiency so just another common theme or another example of this common theme um here's another here's another one which i thought was really cool is um in order to get the the lines um more efficient they actually had the engineers uh sit down and well i'll, I'll have elon tell you that i don't want to this is only a 30 second clip. Yeah, and, and, and it, I mean, uh, because we were sort of desperate to try to get the production working, we actually took uh, the design engineering team and, and, and uh, had to work in the factory and improve the, you know, work, work on production. And it's given them tremendous insight into how they need to change the designs in the future to make it easier to produce. Because you, you feel the pain directly. Exactly. Yeah. Once you feel a pain, like okay, yeah, I didn't realize I was like torturing people with my terrible design. Now I know. I really wish more people would do this. I can't tell you in the fire service how many things come down the line. We're like, hey, this is what we're doing now, and it's like, well, that doesn't. There's where's the common sense? Where where is the common sense? I understand where you got this idea, but um, you sitting in your uh, SUV watching everybody work. I understand where you got this. I'm talking about chiefs now. I understand where you got this idea, but do you really think it's going to work? I mean, <laughs> there's so many variables. The thing about the fire service is not a lot. Every call is different, and uh, I don't know. You you start getting into these uh, uh, decisions made being made by people who aren't actually doing the tasks, and not to say that chiefs are bad, because in the system that I work in, chiefs are actually pretty reasonable. I'm talking like way in my past, in the beginning of my career, not so much towards the end of it, uh, because uh, the chiefs in the system that I work in now 
are are by and large um, they understand they came they've worked a long time in the field and and they have good common sense i'm talking about more in the past but anyway you 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 i'm sure everybody who has a job has experience and a boss has experienced this where they're like oh you need to do this and they don't have any idea what you do they just know that you need to improve numbers or whatever um improve your sales improve this improve that and they just give you an order but they don't have any real clear understanding of what it takes to carry that out so it's good that they put the engineers down on the line to to find out what it's like to carry that out i i, I applaud that uh this next one is just kind of uh talking about cash flow positive because like i said they didn't make any money this quarter but they didn't expect to uh the third quarter the fourth quarter is really where they're looking to to start making money uh but i think it's important if you care about tesla to kind of know where they're at uh financially and, and where they're heading financially how close are you to uh cash flow positive sorry your question is after july how close are we to cash flow well, positive? yeah you have the question you have in july, a very weird you have way july under the books here so how close are you to yeah uh, well we don't have um, I mean, it's always fun. One, we don't have July results done, but um, it, it doesn't matter exactly where we are in um, in the month of July. Uh, what really matters is over the quarter uh, because uh, it depends on deliveries, depends on production, many, many factors. So um, we will be significantly cash flow positive for the quarter. Um, I think that's what really matters. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like the larger question is like, uh, do we have like a low balance in the bank? The answer is no. We, we, we we've got we yeah. weren't in no we, we're not in, in yeah. any kind of cash shortage at all. Right. Yeah. I mean, if that's the yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's a simple answer. Are we running low on money? Yeah. Uh, the answer is no. So that's positive. Uh, keep the doors open a little bit longer. Um, the thing when this guy asked, you know, after July, I don't think he quite understood that June was the end of the quarter. So it wouldn't really matter, but I don't know, maybe he did. Maybe he just got, uh, tongue tied towards the beginning of his question. But, uh, there were some other things he said that didn't make a lot of sense before that, but it doesn't matter. Um, I think it's a valid question and it sounds like Tesla from what I understand um, reading the news, they have about two billion in the bank right now, and they expect to be, um, like Deepak said, they expect to be uh, very profitable, extremely profitable in Q3. We'll see. Uh, let's see here. The next one, uh, this gentleman asks. Um, this is a mix of. I think this is a journalist. It was a mix of analyst and journalist, and I think this is the first journalist. Um, asks if Tesla is still expecting to build a million cars in the year calendar year of 2020. And he also asks about the Model Y. And I think this is some good stuff here. Hi, thanks for the call. Uh, question for you. Do you still plan to make a total of 1 million vehicles in the calendar year of 2020? I think so. Yeah. If it's not a, if it's not a million, it's going to be pretty close. I'd say if it's not a million, it's probably at least seven fifty or something like that um, in twenty twenty. It, it might so we're aiming for a million twenty twenty, but somewhere between half a million and a million seems pretty likely. 
where do you get the capacity to do that? Um, there's this place uh, called Shanghai. Okay, do you, is Shang, Shanghai will be important for that. That yeah. goal. Yeah, okay. Where does yeah, the think, model lie? But, uh, yeah, yeah. I think you know. Um, I think so. Uh, and uh, not, not, uh, I think we can do over half a million vehicles. Uh, well, actually, probably more like six hundred thousand vehicles uh, before with, with current Giga and Fremont. Um, and so then, if you throw like you know, hundred, two hundred, you know, maybe more, a couple hundred k from Shanghai. Um, and, uh, and so we're probably going to do more than 600 k with that for three months and, um, and, and, and Giga Nevada. Uh, that's why I think maybe it's not, I think, I think we have a shot at a million, but, uh, some of the words, seven or seven, 800 K seems pretty likely given the current, what we know today. Have you made any decisions on we're going to make the model Y? I mean, would you like to tell me? <laughs> um, uh, not yet. You expect to announce it this year, though? Maybe. Um, maybe. So the thing that surprises me is last year, Tesla in 2017 built a little over 100,000 cars, I think, just right at that, uh, that mark. And this year, um, I think they're on... You know, they'll probably build 150-ish thousand, uh, according to some numbers I'm looking at on statista.com. Uh, Tesla built 29,000, almost 30,000 in Q1, which sounds right, and 40,000 in Q2, so we're at 70,000. Uh, so we'll say by the end of the year, they're about 180,000. That's my prediction. Mark that down. I'm sure it's completely wrong. Um, so that's a big jump because the 2019, um, they, they got to grow a lot in 2019 and they got to grow a lot more to get to even 750,000 in 2020, um, not much less a million. Um, one of the things that, uh, they talk about is their biggest limiter for growth besides customers. And um, I'll let Elon explain that. Uh, pro probably the biggest limiter on our growth is like how fast can we grow uh, battery production, um, and to especially cell production and the whole cell supply chain, I think will be the fundamental determinant of Tesla's uh, growth. And that makes sense. It makes sense to me. I don't need to add any more to that. Um, in this next one, they're going to talk about uh, power wall limits and roof solar roof validation because right now, uh, it's very hard to get a power wall and the uh, solar roof, they're not on a lot of houses. There are maybe on a couple of hundred houses throughout the North America, but they're, in, and I don't even know, that might even be a huge number. Um, so they, they talk about that. And some of the things, uh, like he talks about a video or he talks about for working with first responders. There's actually a video out there of um, some firefighters. I don't think it'd be interesting for anybody else. Um, but firefighters out there working on the solar roof, um, Tesla's solar roof. So um, it it was it was pretty interesting. I, I I watched it. So and I'm putting together a little presentation for my crew tomorrow, based off of that. Um, 
so we're going to talk about the Powerwall limit, you know, limits and the solar roof validation process. Sales energy, um, getting the, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of sell starved for Powerwall right now. Um, so we actually have to artificially limit the number of Powerwalls because uh, we don't have enough cells. So we're solving for that uh, very rapidly, and we expect to ramp up Powerwall and power pack production. Um, substantially um, later this year and early next, and um, as well as getting and regarding uh, as well as uh, wrapping up retrofit solar and uh, adding the, the, the solar roof. Uh, we now have several hundred uh, homes with the uh, solar roof uh, on them, and um, that's going well. It, it it takes a while to just confirm that the solar roof is is going to last you know for 30 years and all the details work out and. Uh, we'll, you know, working with first responders to make sure it's, it's safe in the event of a fire and that kind of thing. So it's, a, it's quite a long um, validation program for a roof which is going to last for 30, 40, 50 years. Um, but that uh, we also expect to ramp that up next year at our Gigafactory 2 in Buffalo. Um, that's going to be super exciting. So, um, yeah, one thing, okay, so this is part of the communication problem is when Tesla announced that they were going to start taking reservations on this stuff they should probably announce also with that that it's not validated and maybe they did i didn't notice that they did um but i know a lot of people have been like where's the solar roofs at why aren't they building the solar roofs and they they kind of go into that a little bit more um into another clip um i'm going to skip ahead here real quick and uh elon's just going to kind of talk about the energy business versus the car business and then we'll get back on track Long term, we would expect the energy business to catch up to the auto business in size. That's pretty in- insane. Um, they think that the energy business is going to, and I agree with him, by the way. Uh, you know, Tesla is not just a car company, it does lots of things, which we've talked about in the past, and I won't go over here because we're running long. Um, but it's, a, it's really important to remember that that energy. When they bought Solar City, that's a big bet, and that's eventually going to pay off, I'm sure. Uh, this next one uh, is the final Tesla Energy, and then we have one more Tesla Semi um, clip after that, and then we're done. Um, this next one's Tesla Energy. I have to say, I mean, other than that one guy, oh, that one guy, um, my interactions with Tesla Energy has been so positive. Um Connor uh, is like in the scheduling department. They're so on top of it and so professional. I needed a letter to send to the people buying my house saying that when we take the solar panels off, because it's going to be after they sign the paperwork. But when we take the solar panels off, that Tesla is going to stand by their work. And we got a letter within 25 minutes or so. Uh, uh, stating uh, here's the warranty had the customer the the buyer's name on it. Um, I mean, I'm just really really impressed. Anyway, so let's listen to this clip. I I won't go down this whole rabbit hole of my problems. <laughs> okay, so hopefully you can talk more about this um, with the battery project with PG and E that was recently announced. Um, I'm wondering if you could elaborate how you're prioritizing battery pack between auto and energy storage because it seems like you ramped auto battery packs to 20 gigawatt hours in the past 12 months, but are only guiding for about one gigawatt hour of Tesla energy installation in the next year. So I'm wondering why is Tesla energy, given its 
you know, uh, supply constraint. Like, why not ramp that supply to, to you know, 10 gigawatts? It seems like the guidance is a little low there. Yeah, um, it's um, um, as Elon suggested earlier. We are, um, uh, you know, essentially it makes sense for us to prioritize Model Three, uh, but we are adding a ton of capacity, cell capacity, and JV can talk more about it. That will enable us to dramatically ramp our energy storage uh, business as well in the coming quarters. Yeah, you, you you kind of mentioned only one gigawatt hour, but that's that's a that's a big number in that business, and it's maybe on the order of 300% what we did the prior year, and you know we're still aiming at you know maybe another three three to four x growth for for 2019. Yeah, these, these, so these are, are mad we're at scale. Yeah. These are insane growth levels. Crazy growth rate. This yeah, faster it's, not, actually, it's not like serving software. <laughs> this is like you actually need to build. A, there's like a yeah. lot of atoms that no are offense to the software. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I mean <laughs> like once you build software, you can you can obviously you know have lots of copies, uh, but but like. When, when it's like a lot of really complicated atoms, man. But maybe hard. specifically also to your cell, uh, to the cell limitation question. I think you know this has been you know mentioned before, but we we also uh, do use some other vendors. Um, oh yeah, other yeah. Than Panasonic. Yes, we use Samsung and LG and yeah. exactly in our energy products. So, um, you know, I've heard people feel like this is kind of a zero sum game or something with Model Three, but that is not the case. And, you know, we this do a partial sum game. <laughs> we, do we, 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 did, we, did, we did shut down a, a, a power wall cell line for in, in favor of Model 3, to be totally honest, but we kind of have to do that. <laughs> but but, we're, but that's gonna, we're adding new cell lines, and, uh, and, and we'll be able to address that issue very, very soon. Um, I think to put it in perspective, we are still tripling our storage. Uh, so these are the mad growth numbers. Last year. Yeah. Mad. And it's uh, one thing to produce, but it's also another thing to install and deploy. Yeah, exactly. And you need the infrastructure and the people to do that. So it's massive scaling. There's very few companies go at that rate. Uh, yeah, and one of the biggest challenges is like we're, we're quite a, there needs to be a lot more electricians. Like So yeah. we're actually... Um, have an electrician training program. We're going to actually have to train new, you know, people who've never been electricians before to be electricians because otherwise there's not enough like electrician capacity in the United States and most places of the world to install firewalls. Yeah. So it's like we have to actually literally train electricians, and like it takes like two years basically before somebody is certified to be an electrician. So so we have, so we have like okay. You know, we can't, obviously can't grow faster than the rate number of electricians who can physically install a power wall. <laughs> That's like one of the limitations. And that PG&E project you mentioned is, is an incredibly exciting one. It, it kind of yeah, is indicative awesome, actually. of the growth rate. You know, it has a... Yeah. Yeah, can you elaborate awesome. on that? Uh, they did not elaborate on that. They just kind of made the... Uh, uh, da, 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 da. Um, and then they just kind of moved on. But some of the things... There's two things that I... Uh, first, the electrician thing... Um, there are a lot of electricians out there. I don't know that there are a lot of competent electricians out there. My dad was an electrician, and I know that there are a lot. There are the vast majority of them are fantastic, um, but uh, oftentimes my dad was very meticulous and almost to the point of of madness um, in the way that he liked his wires laid out, and it had to be the. the had to be very easy to identify. I don't work that way. I'm chaos. Um, 
when it comes to building things. But my dad was very meticulous about things like that. And I know that for him, and not to say that the other uh, electricians were bad, because it doesn't just because you're not meticulous like him, that didn't make him bad. But I know my dad did a lot of extra work that he probably didn't need to do because he was the last person to work on this thing. Um, and so he needed to be very, he wanted that to, he wanted it to make sure that if there was a problem, it was his problem and it wasn't his problem because somebody else did shoddy work. Um, you know, which, you know, caused a lot of extra work for him. But in the end, I guess, if you think about it, probably caused less because he gets less callbacks that way. Um, but yeah, electricians, you know, it, it, it's probably to find somebody that's, that's qualified to put these things in. It's probably not all that hard. However, do they have that, uh, certificate behind them, uh, or license? Are they a licensed electrician? I don't know. And it'd be interesting now that I'm kind of thinking about this and I'll continue on here in a moment. Uh, will Tesla use, uh, electrical unions to get this stuff in or are they going to use uh just private contractors that aren't a part of the union based on elon's kind of stance on the union for the auto workers that's interesting to think about anyway moving along the last thing we're going to talk about is tesla semi sharing components with the model 3 initially and it will probably share components with the model 3 the final version but as we've talked about before the the tesla semi is being kind of rebuilt and retooled to be a uh, better product than what even what we were shown for the alpha i'm going to call it an alpha uh, version it might be a beta but this is a quick clip what will uh the semi use um a bunch of model 3 technology the answer is is yes uh drum if you want to elaborate on that or up to you. Well, I mean, you can already see in the prototype that we've leveraged a lot of the Model 3 components, the screens, yeah. the door handles, I mean, as much as motors, possible. Yeah, uh, uh, the motors, yeah, yeah. Uh, in, no, the, in the no, prototype, the a lot of the cell technologies. Yeah. But there are some changes, and I'd rather not say yeah, in yeah. public, yeah. Well, obviously, it's going to be better than what we showed last year. Yeah, yeah. a lot of improvements, yeah. Looking back on that, I probably could have just saved that and saved you 30 seconds. Anyway... That's it. That's the show. I love doing these. Um, they take a really long time to put together. I would say this probably took two and a half, maybe three hours almost to put together. And it's taken an hour and 12 minutes to record it. So, um, but they're, they're some of my favorite uh, episodes to do. So I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Thanks to all the patrons who support the show. I really appreciate that. I'm going to have an announcement about a giveaway that's available uh kind of to everybody. Let's kind of see how that goes. It's available kind of to everybody next uh, week. So I hope everybody has a great week. Uh, if you need to contact me uh, because something I said was incorrect, uh, it's Bodie, B-O-D-I-E at 918digital.com. That's 918-D-I-G-I-T-A-L.com. And I'm at 918digital, same spelling, on Twitter. And that's it. I won't belabor the, the point. I hope you guys have a wonderful week. And I appreciate you listening to the show. And uh, en enjoy your weekend.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.